everyone. Welcome back to Somewhat Decent Reviews. I'm Molly. I'm Laura. This is episode five. Is it five already? I think it's five. Oh my gosh. We've now been doing this for a good chunk of our life. Yeah. <laughs> five whole weeks of our life. I mean, a lot more than that. Yeah, probably a lot more. Let's be honest. We don't put these out every week. That's true. Um, so what's yeah, up? what is up, dude? This is the first time we are recording in the same location. So we're going to see how this goes this time. It's a yeah. little different. Usually we record over Zoom when Laura's at her house and I'm at my house. But today we uh, had a margarita and we're side by side <laughs> and we're side by side. <laughs> I'm a little tipsy. I'm just going to preface this episode with the fact that I'm a little tipsy because I speed drank my margarita. That's true. I did not speed drink my margarita, but I did speed hit my bowl. So <laughs> we're about we're about equal equal bits. Um, effed up <laughs> we're equal bits we're equal bits effed up welcome okay. welcome. welcome to somewhat decent reviews laura what do you want to jump into reviewing let's do our movie yeah what movie did you watch i watched um it was directed by steven soderberg written by david cop mm-hmm. um who david cop wrote freaking jurassic park Wow. Which I okay. think did Steven Spielberg direct that movie? I think he did. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't be surprised. I think he either. probably did. Probably did. Um, so they go back, obviously, because Steven Soderbergh and Good him bets. have come, you know, worked on stuff together. So directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by David Kopp, starring Zoe Kra- Zoe Kravitz, oh. who is Bay. Like I mm. love Zoe Kravitz. She's my always been my celebrity crush. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just look at her. And also her parents, also my celebrity crushes. I loved her in High Fidelity. Oh my God. She's such a good show. We we're going to review that eventually because that's one of my favorite shows, but yeah, the past and the present. Yes, (laughs) exactly. We'll do them both. Yes. Um, movie and show anyways, Kimmy, it's a thriller. It's a suspense Mm. thriller. Um, I would say it's more suspense than thriller. They really, I think what I like about it is they really build up the tension, but it's like, through the eyes of premise, the premise. Let me get to the premise. Um, Kimmy is a audio, basically the same thing as Alexa. Yeah, when I saw the preview for this movie, I wanted to throw away all of the Alexas in my home. And I guarantee you that now that we've said those, that name, um, mine are probably listening to us. I have two. Whoa. That place. Yeah, I've never had an Alexa. Always been creeped out by it. Also, always understood how cool it was in certain respects because you can just like literally ask them to play music for you and they'll put it on. Dude, I use her for timers on food a lot. Mm. And I use her to like convert things really quickly or to ask Alexa, what's the temperature outside or something like that. Wow. And um, oh she just told us that it's 51 degrees Fahrenheit. God. <laughs> So she is listening at all times. So that's why I don't like her. <laughs> I would get angry if yeah, that is happening. And there's been times when I've said things like, or I've been watching Shit's Creek. Yeah. Where the main, one of the main characters' names is Alexis. Oh my and God. sometimes like Moira, the way that she'll say it, she'll be like, Alexis. <laughs> and my machine will go off. And I'm like, this is not okay with me, actually. Oh my God. But Shit's <laughs> Creek is so good. Shit's Creek is another one we're going to review someday. Yeah, it's one okay. of my favorite shows. Getting ahead of ourselves. Okay, let's go back um, to Kimmy. Sorry, so, everybody. No, Kimmy <laughs> is, uh, I'm going to read you the byline, which is really not doing enough explanation, but an agoraphobic Seattle tech worker uncovers evidence of a crime. Whoa. And when they say, I know, whoa. <laughs> when they say that she uncovers ev- evidence of a crime, she is working at, at the company that makes Kimmy's and she is in charge of listening through basically listening through hours and hours of Kimmy audio in order to solve um, human and tech deficiencies, essentially. Cool. So she's basically doing like user research without actually talking to the users just by listening to what they've asked their machine. Exactly. Okay, cool. So this is interesting because when you have um, an Alexa in your home, sometimes she'll ask you things like, did I get that answer right? Exactly. And then I'm always kind of like, are you reporting back to somebody? And hundred percent, hundred percent she is. Yeah, 100%. absolutely. So this movie is all about the perils of having technology in your home, having tech companies in the, having this much level of power, what that means for us as a society. Um, so the movie is extremely timely. 
Um, it's all of the questions that you think about when you think about having a device like this in your house, or maybe you don't think about it, but you should think about it. Um, mm. And in this movie, she hears a murder happen of a woman. And of course, she's really freaked out. And of course, she tries to report it to her higher ups and they tell her to drop it. They tell her to um, ignore it or to just pass on it. It's all about her trying to get the attention of the people that work in the company and slowly realizing that by reporting this murder, um, she is implicating herself in a much larger situation which is that the company then targets her as a threat and Damn. tries to get her to shut up and Gosh. they including kidnapping her they try to kidnap her they try so i won't give away the ending of the movie but i thought it was a really good movie uh zoe kravitz is a pretty good actress i think um and it was interesting because in in the movie her character is also agoraphobic and struggles with ocd mm. so I thought that I know that agoraphobia and OCD, I mean, my limited knowledge, I know that they can sometimes go hand in hand. Um, and she, I thought did a pretty good portrayal of OCD. Obviously I don't experience OCD. So I would have to ask yeah. someone who experiences that if they thought it was an accurate portrayal. Right. Um, and every person with OCD is different, obviously. Right. And sometimes there it is like sticky territory when yes. people without a disability try to portray Someone a character with. that has a disability. Like, exactly. I just think that's kind of tricky ground to tread period. Totally. Um, but yeah, I would be really curious to talk to someone who actually has OCD or experiences it and see how they felt about the role, but exactly. freaking love Zoe. Do you know when you're explaining it, like what vibes exist? gives me mm -hmm. like Harrison Ford and the fugitive do you remember that movie vaguely I think I saw like maybe 10 minutes of okay it. that was like it. one of my parents favorite movies it's oh. a, a 90s movie but it's like similar in that he he witnessed like somebody his wife gets murdered or something and then he's like freaking out about it and then he gets blamed for it and then oh, wow. like, you're the one and he has yep. to be like on the run wrongful like, conviction wrongful convictions those kinds of things get my blood boiling right but even in this one it's even further but blood boiling because it's this fucking like rich ass tech company that's trying to silence its employee Ugh. trying to do the right thing and report a really huge like thing of course it later comes out that the person that committed the crime is someone that's related to the company oh and of course gosh. so there's layers and layers of, you know yeah um Cedar steven soderbergh is obviously a pretty renowned mm -hmm. film director and writer and um i genuinely like cool most of his movies um, it has been on my watch list for a while to be honest well yes. for like a few weeks now i've been really wanting to watch it but it's like I am, as we've talked about in the podcast in the past, very sensitive mm -hmm. to like thrillers and yeah. things like that. But hearing your review of it, Laura, has given me a little bit of confidence to watch it because I don't get the sense that it's as jump out at you, no. like really horrific kind of fear as no. much as it's like a kind of like on the edge of your seat like what's going to happen exactly uh it, it is definitely that for about three quarters or even more of the movie okay. the last <clears throat> chunk the last quarter or slightly less than last couple scenes in the movie there is some uh violence so trigger warning for okay. that which you might want to close your eyes and or <sighs> i will turn it off and ask me what happens um <laughs> at that point but okay, also good, good movie really well acted and very interesting subject matter and i would recommend yeah well not super long either so speaking of yeah. violence and length of movie yeah. you and i both watched something with quite a bit of <gasps> real intense violence <laughs> i i think i know what you're gonna say west side story west the side story the remake baby now if you're looking for something short this is not your movie. This movie is freaking long. I think oh, it's, it's over two hours for sure. I watched it in two days. I said, I, I, oh my God, I, that probably yeah, would have been smart. So for anybody who's not familiar with the story of West Side Story, this is a movie. Well, it's a Broadway show. It's based off of Romeo and Juliet. So if you know for the real? story. Yes. Dude. How did I not know that? <laughs> yeah. Didn't, West Side didn't story. track that. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's the same storyline, but West Side Story is a musical adaptation of the story of Romeo and Juliet, but it's uh, obviously set in yeah. 1950s, 1950s New York. Yep. It's obviously the West Side. Mm. <laughs> yes. because, and it's kind Safe of at that, that time period where the West Side, which was notoriously um, really immigrant based communities, um, a lot of really 
big population of Italian immigrants, a big population of Puerto Rican immigrants, Irish immigrants. Irish Catholic, it was yeah. everybody that kept the city running lived in this area. And of course, the city decided to come in and demolish pretty much that whole area to build more elite and um, gentrification, right? So yeah. it's, they wanted to build nicer places. I think Lincoln Center, as they said in the beginning of the movie, was being built there. Right. So this is a forbidden love story in this sh- movie, show, whatever. There's kind of two sides, immigrant, white, white, white people, white people and, Puerto Ricans. and Puerto Ricans who are yeah. new, newer immigrants. Of course, they're all immigrants because everybody who came through New York came through Ellis Island, of course. Right. But unless, yeah, no, pretty much everybody. Yeah. Okay, and so this, yeah. So this movie um, or this, the music of this was written by um, Stephen Sondheim, which we love, mm-hmm. you know, he's amazing. It's wildly good. Okay, but it's not my favorite no. musical by any means. And yeah. if you know me at all, yeah, I'm a big musical theater person. Yeah. I that's like my number one record is all soundtracks of different shows. It's not my favorite Sondheim. There's a few songs that I really like, but what a, can you give us some other like what are some Sondheim musicals? I only ever was shown two musicals growing up and they were Fiddler on the Roof and West Side Story and Fiddler on the Roof I'm Jewish and Russian and so of course West Side Story my parents were always like really espousing anti-racist like anti-classist views in my household essentially socialist communist style views and so though that I grew up on West Side Story but right. it's also problematic in its own ways. Oh yeah, it's definitely. Um, okay, give me what he, so, what did Sondheim so do? He did the show Gypsy. Don't um, know that one. Okay. <laughs> I don't know any musicals though. Sweeney so. Todd. Oh, I know that. Okay. okay, so he did that one. A Little Night Music, Where Merrily We Roll Along. Company, that's a really famous one. A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Okay, so he's really good. Whatever. Okay, so he's really good. Um, he did West Side Story. I guess maybe, I mean, I guess in a way that is maybe his most famous one, but I think my favorite Sondheim musical is probably Sweeney Todd or um, Gypsy. Into the Woods is good. So yeah. Tell me what you think. Okay, so from a musical standpoint, I am not a connoisseur, but I can tell good songwriting, good musical talent when I see it. Obviously the songs are really beautifully crafted. The music is really beautiful. Right. It's very clear that it was very well put together content, you know, whatever, Mm. but has issues. But I do think it was trying to convey for the fifties. It was pretty, Mm -hmm. I mean, when did it come out? When did West Side Story come out? I think it came out. My mom was a kid, I think when it came out and she was born in 53. Yeah. Um, so it came out 61, 61. Mm-hmm. Okay. So thinking about the time frame that it came out in, it was a pretty big deal for that time frame to talk about race in a, well, actually, you know what? No, it was its first, it made it to Broadway in 1957. So really close to the sixties, but it, interesting. it was actually written and first put on the stage in Washington, DC in 1957. So this, I can't actually, I'm really impressed with yeah. the fact that it came out in 1957 because it was, literally talking about their current reality exactly pretty much it was yeah. which is what I think is really powerful about a lot of music's musicals in a way you know we have musicals like rent which really encapsulated encapsulated like a generation and you know just yeah. these like books like uh hair yeah. you know in the 70s yeah. and it came out right around then it encapsulates yeah. in what is that encapsulates you got it it encapsulated that generation and I think West Side Story really did that yeah true yeah yeah um so yeah we both watched west side story the remake this week and i thought it was pretty well acted well Mm -hmm. sung Mm -hmm. um the visuals were stunning like the production design uh from a film nerd standpoint it was on point the lighting was incredible costumes were incredible talent like talent really really good it was unbelievable what's interesting about this movie is that watching it now it's obviously a remake and I grew up with the original which was very timely and very important I think for a lot of white people in waking up to what was going on um yeah at that time in the 50s when it came out and early 60s obviously there was a lot that had been going on for bio POC communities before that but white people were not talking about it on a national level in any real way I think in the 1950s maybe the end of the 50s but that's when it came out in the end of the 50s so um I think it was a pretty important piece of like American American cultural theater and um I just grew Mm -hmm. up like I know all the songs by heart because it was my mom's favorite musical and she would sing it all the time and played it for me and um 
you know, talked about the problems with racism in New York and like mentioned it to me. And so it was very much like on my mind growing up and something. So when I saw it, I was like, okay, I'll watch it. I don't like musicals very much the opposite of you, but I was like, mm-hmm. that's a musical that is like so nostalgic for yeah. me. Yeah. And it's also, I think really um, poignant that it's coming out again right now. Because and we're having I'm the sure... same problems. Exactly. We're like, wow, we haven't actually made that much progress nope. in the 61, 71, 81, 91, oh <laughs> a my lot gosh, of years yeah. since the first movie came out, Yeah, which is really horrifying, really, really sad. sad. Um, so hopefully this movie can appeal to a lot of audiences. I think it can. As far as musicals go, um, yeah, I mean, Stephen Sondheim's famous. He's great. He did a good job. I mean, this movie has classics like I Feel Pretty. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows that song. Yeah. Um, well, most people, I guess. Maybe if you were raised by two theater nerds. <clears throat> hey, Woody and Rebecca. Um, <laughs> uh, you probably know it, but this show is wildly dance heavy. It's more dance heavy than typical, I think, a lot of typical Broadway shows. Yeah. Um, it's yeah it's um ensemble film there's like a lot of really beautiful roles in it we've got a lot of really key roles so the dialogue is what stuck out to me in this remake and also in the original that like one of the reasons I don't like musicals is because I don't often love how the dialogue just bleeds into song without fully fleshed out dialogue I find in musicals the dialogue to be really lacking a lot of the time and in this move this movie and musical I find that the dialogue is a lot better well, to me. And obviously it's directed by Spielberg. So he probably yeah. worked on the dialogue. And, and that technique, I think, is kind of indicative of Sondheim in that interesting. he doesn't, at least in my opinion, if you are a major Sondheim fan, you can like call me out in our Instagram comments. That's <laughs> fine. I am open to feedback. But from what I know of Sondheim, he's not actually giving you a ton of plot furthering in the music. Right. They are literally just songs about a feeling or a moment or an experience. But yes, a lot of musicals will have like songs where if you're not listening to the lyrics of the songs, you're going to miss like very key plot points. I'm talking Les Miserables. I'm talking Phantom of the Opera. Exactly. Where you never know what's going on. You don't know what's going on because you're not like listening to the lyrics of the songs. Right. But with West Side Story, it's really dialogue heavy. It's really like ensemble scene heavy. There's a lot of stuff that's happening just as you're like visually watching it. So if you're not watching the screen, you'll probably miss things because you'll see people pick up things or do things or go places. So one last thing I would like to, to have a conversation about in terms of this movie that yes. they've done differently. And I just think we have to call it out. Oh, because yeah. Yeah. Is that in the 2021 version, they seem to be trying to fill some kind of LGBTQ quota. And so they have one character who is a trans man and they don't give this person really any plot line. Besides like, being unwanted. Besides being unwanted and not fitting in. And they use this character in a way, just as an opportunity for people to say some like really transphobic things that trigger warning, if you're a trans or you're sensitive to that experience, like they're harmful things. They don't feel good to hear or to see people experience. And then have this moment where this person who is a huge asshole finally comes around and acknowledges and says, all this hard work that the trans trans character has been doing. So basically, yeah. Trans, this trans character has to put themselves into like exceeding amounts of danger and turmoil and get beaten up and prove themselves over and over all for this one white dude to say, way to go boy. Yeah. And I'm like, don't stop it. Snore. Honestly though, don't just put a trans person in your movie to say, look, there's trans person in our movie. Yeah. Also (laughs) trigger warning. There's an almost rape scene which gets called out by another character as a rape event but it's an almost not full rape scene but very much sexual assault scene and it was hard to watch so hard to watch it was really hard for me too I didn't really see that coming and then and I don't know if it was in the original I don't think it was I don't think it was like that no I don't think so it's like that watching that John Travolta movie, Boogie Nights. I think that, or was it not Fever, Sunday, Saturday, Saturday Night Fever. Sunday, like, I was going <laughs> to say Sunday Night Fever. <laughs> it's like, yes. That's Sunday Night That's Fever Sunday Night 7 Fever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll be in bed by 10. Uh, it was like in the same vein as watching Saturday Night Fever where there's like without, and that was 
indicative of a lot of 80s movies where yeah. it was without warning a just brutal rape scene with no fucking warning yeah out of nowhere out of nowhere out of and nowhere. then it's like talk it's like dismissed you know i know that was my like, thing with this wow. movie is like jumps right back into the story and yeah. i'm like i need a moment yeah like well oh. i also think they're the good thing about this story is that they did address all of these really hard subject matter all of the stuff that was really problematic and hard to deal with like i do like their attempt to add a trans character in because there probably was right. a fucking trans character back in the 50s that they just never would have even included them you know yeah so in totally. that way i am thankful that they added it i don't like the way they went about doing yeah. it but i i'm thankful that they had some queer representation because queer people have always existed so switching subjects. so speaking of yes stuff like this we're just going to go right into the movie that I watched yes, this week. I'm very curious. Um, which also talks about a lot of challenging themes, kind of like West Side Story, but these themes are more um, on the like personal and mental health and interest, interpersonal side. Um, I watched Spencer. So this is a movie about Princess Diana. I'm sure tons of you have seen it. Um, it was directed by Pablo Lorraine, starring Kristen Stewart, which um, I will just be honest, going into this movie, I really wasn't sure what to expect because I've seen Kristen Stewart in obviously the Twilight series and I was like, meh. Yeah. And then I saw her, I've seen her in a lot of stuff, let's just say, and I've never been wildly impressed. Don't read that as me not loving Case Stew because I love Case Stew. Mm -hmm. I love her as a person. I think she's amazing, gorgeous, cool, awesome. I'm like, you can hang out with me literally any day of the week. Queer icon. Queer icon. Like, fuck yeah, I'm on her team all the way. But I've never really been drawn to her as style of acting. <laughs> yeah. That being said, I was really blown away by this movie. Kristen Stewart's particular brand of kind of awkward um so and awkward shifty body movements and like you guys know what I'm talking about imagine Kristen Stewart in Twilight where she's like ah, 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 ah. she sighs you know, she sighs or like yeah. she's blinking her face she's doing interesting things with her body and I mean that's cool but I never really vibed with it but it really fits in Spencer because if you are raised by an anglophile hello again rebecca and <laughs> somebody who really really loved studying the royal family that culture british culture and was really a big fan of princess diana somebody who grew up being like prince harry's really hot he, uh, prince harry i know was prince know. william there okay. was like a huge harry <laughs> contingent when i was growing up yeah so. it was all about prince william and my family okay. but anyways so my mom was a big Diana fan. Um, I remember Princess Diana died on my ninth birthday. Whoa. It was true. Whoa. Yeah. We found out the morning of my ninth birthday. Tragic. And my mom had to like, she had to tuck herself away in her bedroom all day. Wow. She was really, I think a lot of people were dude. Yeah. When was it? 1999, 1998. I guess it's like an, any like beloved public figure dies. She like, was beloved. Okay. Diana. And this is part of why Princess Diana was detested when she was alive and while she was a part of the royal family is because she was so beloved mm -hmm. and none of them were. Yeah. I think Princess Diana put the royal family on the world map yeah. in a way that they hadn't been before. 100%. I think Princess Diana put the royal family into pop culture's world so yeah. we started seeing her and actually seeking her out she became a fashion icon she yeah. was like really cool we all loved her so i was excited to see this movie jacqueline duran was the costume designer mm. and these costumes are really beautiful mm. you know they're really true to princess diana's vibe and and stephen knight who did peaky blinders yeah, wrote big the screenplay. Big fan of Peaky Blinders. Yeah, I think you guys would like it. I'm just okay. gonna say, give it a try. I mean, if you don't like it, no problem. Trigger warning: This talks a lot about eating disorders, um, self harm. Mm -hmm. It's you know the royal family was pretty emotionally fucked abusive. Up. Yeah, pretty fucked up, pretty emotionally abusive towards Diana. She had it real hard. This whole movie is also kind of interesting because it takes place over one weekend. Whoa. So yeah, it's just. Christmas weekend when the boys are eight and 10 or something oh. like that. So it's after she and Charles have kind of parted ways, but are still married for yeah. media's sake. But this is at the height of Princess Diana's eating disorder. She's wildly unhappy and she's pretty, pretty close to divorcing Charles and splitting up. But Damn. she hasn't yet in this movie. Wow. Um, 
I'm not going to say a ton more about it. One thing I will say just because we're on this theme today is that they do try to put um, some gay content in there and again, do it in a very strange way. I kind of had a hard time, but they will say anything that you read about this movie, it is a Hollywood adaptation of yeah based on some true events right but it is not a true story it is not realistic it does paint Diana as kind of a person who really struggles with mental illness yeah she has a lot of hallucinations and they show a lot of that mm-hmm. so well when you're not eating at all that that'll give you that'll sure make you hallucinate oh yeah so trigger warning yeah a lot of disordered eating in this um in this movie but really good i do recommend so anyways yeah what else laura did you watch anything else else? what else um i watched the dropout on hulu it's on hulu uh about elizabeth holmes uh who is the was the ceo of theranos which which if you're not familiar it was a biotech company Mm. that uh was a startup where she basically falsely told everybody, investors and patients or clients included, that she could, with her technology that they had developed at her company, test for lots of different health-related um, things or illness in a single pinprick of blood. And you could do it at home. Right. They were designing these machines that you could have in home so that you'd only have to pinprick your finger right and put it on this little card and it would tell you everything you needed to know about yourself which we now know and which scientists could tell you at the time was pretty much next to impossible right uh so yeah it's in a really interesting this is was a shocker of a story when it came out investigative journalists kind of blew the lid off of it and then she eventually she just had trial and i think the trial just ended just recently ended and she was convicted yeah yeah Yeah. so they have of course timely they made a Mm -hmm. a mini series they've made a bunch of documentaries about it but they also made a mini series that just came out starring amanda seyfried who is really phenomenal as so good she really nailed the voice which was also like a comically put on voice by elizabeth holmes to be taken seriously in a man's world which is another layer of this all which is that she was a young woman with ambition um and a little delusion delusional quite delusional, Um, honestly yeah with um, trying to make it in a man's world yeah she had a pretty unhealthy obsession with steve jobs Mm -hmm. and with um bill gates Mm -hmm. so she had these idols and she kind of i think she looked at their life story and she just tried to emulate exactly what they did but without maybe some of the same well they were white men so yeah. they were obviously had a I think a, a like a leg up primed for success <laughs> exactly primed for success so as it was she was trying to kind of exist in a um narrative that wasn't built for her right however she's a white lady white lady upper so middle class upper middle class white lady raised by people who had money and were able to send her to Sam Stanford so right. so there's a certain level of expectation <laughs> that she had and um right. Yeah, it's a really fascinating story, true story. And also it's dramatized, but she has a relationship with an older man, Sonny, who she meets on a program abroad in China. Ooh, so um, he's rough too, And honestly. he's, yeah, I mean, holy, the whole situation is problematic and he's mm. included in that. But he was, you know, instrumental in her starting her company because he was an early investor. He, you know, helped her kind of get to where she was. What was really problematic about that was that he knew the yeah. whole time that she was lying, that she had oh, yeah. fallen falsified evidence that she had lied to investors from the very beginning. Right. And instead of holding her accountable and calling her out and being like, you need to be honest about this. He kind of just, well, he enabled her and he like mm-hmm. held out the lie and donated, gave money. To the, oh my yeah. God. And they were in a May, December romance. And so, yeah, you is. know, it was just a whole lot of mess, a big, yeah. oop. you know, you're talking about her voice yeah. and it's so funny because I see on our shared Google doc, as our <laughs> listeners will remember from last week, we have, you wanted to Google what her voice actually sounded like. Yeah. And me being the Virgo that I am, this is what I do when I'm watching shows or movies that are built based based on true is right. I'm pausing about like, it takes me forever to get through an oh episode God, I could not. because I pause it like every 20, 30 minutes or 10 minutes to look up what they're talking about and see if that 
really happened. Oh my I did God. this with the crown too, which is why y'all started and finished the crown <laughs> before I even got through like the third season because wow. I had to research all of the facts. God love but, a Virgo. Yeah, but I too had to listen and I've now watched many minutes of interviews with Elizabeth. And I being the Gemini that I am, Jack of all trades, master of none, I have never heard her voice in real life and I'm still wondering so wait you've never heard her voice in real life no you still haven't listened no I looked up a picture of her that was where it ended I got distracted I mean I want to hear I think in the show they do this where they play her voice the voice that is really um, I just need to be with you when you hear this person's voice for the first time that's fair first they think you're crazy then they fight you and then all of a sudden you change the world you said (laughs) that the She's banana pancakes. She really is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel for her, honestly. She's just trying to make it. And she, she, if we're all being honest, great idea. Mm -hmm. If it really worked, that would be sick. But it doesn't work. Ideas not based in reality. Are not great. (laughs) Are not good. Yeah. The dropout. Yeah. Good show. Good Good show. show. I think it's kind of funny, too, that they put out the dropout came out, what, like, just a shortly after inventing Anna. Oh which yeah. Is like we right. kind of came out right away at the same time with like two shows that are about, about these, especially what's kind of funny about it is that they're both white, young white women. I know. Imposters. So I know. I'm, I'm excited for There's so much there. There's just so much there. There's <laughs> a lot of layers. <laughs> yeah, a lot of layers there. So I want to review Bridgerton because we have season two coming out March 25th. So I, everybody excited? I'm really excited, but I wish that Reggie Jean, Jean Page was in it. <sighs> yeah, he says it Reggie. 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 Whoa, Reggie. Jean. This show is based on an 11-part book series by this woman named Julia Ann Robinson. No, 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 that's the director. Julia Ann Robinson. Julia Quinn is the author. Julia and Julia. We got Julia's and Julia's, not to be confused with Amy Adams and uh, Meryl Streep. <laughs> also, uh, a good movie. also a great movie <laughs> wait did you read those books i did read all of the bridgerton no, books you yeah, read all please of don't them? judge me dude oh I, my god i listened to them okay okay that's, so i that's better i'm a really big audiobook fan i'm gonna talk about the audiobooks that i've been listening to a little later in this episode but yes i did listen to the entire bridgerton series that's i'm not lot. sure how i made it through they're relatively short books oh that's good um yeah like a few days three days, four days a book, whatever. Okay. And I listen to them just while I'm doing everything, kind of like if I'm working or, you know, yeah. something, knitting, whatever. I, I don't listen have to them in the background. Skill. I can't listen to something and yeah. actually pay attention to it. The nice thing about these Bridgerton books is that they're the kind of books where you don't necessarily have to pay attention the entire time. Right. They okay. are hard romance novels. Okay. So this is a, this show was produced by Shondaland, but Shonda actually wasn't directly involved. Yeah. Which is fine. You know, I just love her. And right. so I was kind of like that. But was, it was her protege. It was her protege who, who did it. Did it. Um, exactly. Chris Van Dusen um, is the person who created it. Directed by this woman named Julia Ann Robinson. One kind of interesting fact is that in this series, there are over 7,500 costumes. Damn. Yeah. So Ellen Meroshnik um, was a costume designer and kind of had her hands on every single costume piece. And that is it huge job I cannot imagine can you imagine I know so yeah I I mean I love this show this show is really good it's so visually beautiful it's incredibly diverse which obviously we all know wasn't indicative of that time right but fuck that who cares like let's have a lot of diversity in this show I think it makes it really cool it's really great I think it's better better for it better for it yeah so I loved that I I mean, the cast is beautiful. The scene is beautiful. It's an incredibly engaging story that centers around this family called the Bridgertons, the Bridgerton family. Daphne is the main, the oldest daughter. And the whole plot of this first movie is Daphne's trying to find a husband. They're and trying each, to marry. Each book is about a different kid. Each book is about a different kid. Because contraception didn't exist. That's right. Yeah. Or maybe they're just know. Catholic. I don't think so. I think they just claim to have loved each other. <laughs> burn (laughs) so anyways yeah tamale i know so yeah this this show is really good one of the only issues i had with it is that there is kind of a really intense sort of rapey scene where our main girl kind of non-consensually has sex with her then at the time husband 
Um, but this is a really great thing to talk about because domestic partner violence happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And just because you are married to somebody does not mean that consent doesn't consent doesn't need to be given. Mm -hmm. And at any point married or not, you can say, I don't want that. I don't like that. I'm saying no, you know, forget that people really forget that they think that we're married. I'm entitled to you and your body at all times, Mm -hmm. which isn't true. So that came up in this um, show. And I thought it was really interesting to show it where the, um, the female character is violating the man's consent, because I think oftentimes it's the other way around that is showcased. I totally um, forgot about that scene. But, it's been a while. Yeah. So that's a scene that happens. Yeah. So going into it, just be aware that that happens about halfway to a third of the way through the season. So anyways, I'm excited for the next season to come out on the 25th. Definitely sad that Reggae is not in it, but excited to see some of our favorites back. Nicola Coughlin. Yeah. So we really like her. I She's really on Derby her. Girls. She's on Derby Girls. No, not Derby Girls. No, Dairy no. Girls. Dairy Girls. <laughs> She uh, loves roller girls. <laughs> no, yeah. So Nicola McLaughlin, she's in, yeah, she's in Dairy Girls. She's so cool. She's Irish. So there we get to do our Ireland plug. <laughs> like we do every single episode. Oh, she's, she's 35, dude. She looks like a kid. I know. She's, she's really also sweet. tiny. She's 5'1. And she's Irish. She's, damn. And she's best friends with Jonathan Van Ness. Is she? She's really good friends with him. They love post that. together all the time. So that's really cute. I mean, she's just so gorgeous and so cool. So I love her. I'm excited that she's gonna be back. Um, really mm-hmm. excited to see this next season. I think there's just as much diversity, just as as much intrigue and drama mm-hmm. so march 25th everyone mark your calendars now's a good time to rewatch the first season plan your watch parties yeah definitely um what have you been uh reading yeah so speaking of series i have been i'm gonna tie my podcast type thing and my book together because i've been listening re-listening to the Anne of Green Gables series. Never read or watched. Okay, so Anne of Green Gables, it became really popular in the 80s because they came out with the VHS, like Anne of Green Gables and Anne of Avonlea came out on like a two-part VHS, which we had both of when I was growing up. Um, It's a story of a little orphan girl named Anne and the story picks up at the very beginning when she is, I think like 11 or 12 years old and she gets adopted by the Cuthbert family and they live um, at a house called Green Gables and it's outside of Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, um, kind of up there on the, on the coast right there. It's so beautiful in that area. It's so sweet. Mm-hmm. So this, the book series, and I've been listening to them. I'm now on book four and there's seven altogether. They don't take very long. They're like a day. Hmm. two days of listening mm-hmm. they're pretty short books and the narrators you would love yeah. it's like listening to a theatrical performance because this the narrator is, is acting them you can hear she's just laughing and inflection and like singing it's really great awesome yeah so um these books the first one came out in 1908 damn they're very old they're by yeah. lm montgomery she wrote the first one when she was 21 years old, which I thought was really cool. That's a big accomplishment. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people have heard of them, like I said, because the 90s movies that came out and then they recently did on Netflix kind of like a reboot of the show. Did you and watch? I did watch it and it had, I think, three or four seasons. And then for some reason, they didn't renew. What? So the last season, yeah, it sucks because it's like the story's not over at all. The last season ends and we're expecting another season and they're just not going to do one. So they didn't even film it? No. No, it's not even there. So it's there just that's it. So the season, the series is over. Maybe um, in the future they'll come with another one. I have no idea, but they really really fucked it up. They really fucked that one up. So, yeah, definitely a big bummer. But yeah, these books are really beautiful. They are for kids. Um, but they can be enjoyed by adults. Yeah, I grew up in like small town. And so these books to me feel very sweet and nostalgic mm-hmm. of like me growing up in the woods and um, growing up outside of, I grew up in a really rural area. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love them. I love a good nostalgic moment oh. in a you know book series. Yeah, and they deal with really good themes. Like there is definitely some religious overtones in these books but it's not overpowering it's just like 
typical for the early 1900s type religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're fun. They're funny. They're really easy. I highly recommend them if you're just looking for something to listen or you have like a young person in your life who is looking for a good, fairly wholesome yeah. <laughs> series that is historically accurate and I love it. really cute and sweet. This is a great, great one to read in. I love it. Yeah. Highly recommend LM Montgomery. The Anne series starts out with Anne of green Gables. Is it, is there ever any, like, like, does she hit puberty and like try to get with boys? Oh yeah, dude. This book starts when she's 11. No, not at all. Yeah. So it starts when she's 11, but within that first book, she goes from being 11 to like 16 or 17. Okay. And then the second one. So book I'm on right now, she's 20 and she's the principal of a um, high school in wow. Kingsport. Um, yeah. 20 year old principal, huh? Well, it's the 1916. Right. <laughs> you, you don't need much qualification to be a principal. Right. And at that time, most women were only working as teachers or educators right. until they got married. And so they, so were... she was kind of a big deal. Yeah. So she's, and at this point she's engaged. I'm not going to tell you to okay. Okay. because yeah. it might spoil something in the books. Okay. Um, and if you've seen the show or the movies, then you'll know who it is, but whatever. Um, it's just really sweet. She navigates relationships. She navigates dating courtship. She navigates um, being a really independent and creative and free spirited woman in the mm-hmm. early 1900s and what that looks like and how can she fulfill her dreams of being really independent, but also being present in the times of the early 1900s where women mm-hmm. really didn't have a lot of rights so yeah, before women's suffrage exactly um, question mm. and then before we wrap up Anne of Green Gables did <laughs> what is the Victorian dress element like like how good mm. is the cost like I, I'm imagining really nice costume design so you're talking in the show I guess yeah. okay yeah I mean honestly you probably like the costumes um you have to remember that this is set in a teeny island community mm, okay so they're not we're not wearing like it's not like the yeah. gilded age which right. i'm going to talk about next week which okay. is an hbo show that has wild freaking costumes okay not at all these people didn't have money they were wearing like mm-hmm. pinafores <laughs> they were wearing like yeah. aprons and little overdresses gotcha. um okay maybe you know, like a big one of those big victorian buns though. oh yeah definitely yeah. definitely yeah like you see yeah in the the 1990s show you do see some or the 1990s movie you see some really cool like evolution of costumes and you can see how her costumes transform as she grows up too and that's cool um and then in the tv show as well like it never really was able to get that far yeah i love the tv show on netflix too because talk about a show that actually did a really good job of incorporating a queer storyline and lgbt storyline Obviously the book is not written with any kind of queer content and neither was the first rendition of the movies, but in the show, they actually talk a lot about queer identity, a lot about like different types of relationships, different relationship structures, special. Like hashtag love is love. Hashtag love is love. Yeah. I mean, and maybe that's corny, but like, seriously, dude, what book did you read? Oh my God, I cannot even handle this book that I read because I've been telling everybody about it because it was so good. Um, I also think I read it. You read it too. Mm. It's called Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Mm. Um, I think it was her debut novel. Um, talk about a talented ass writer. Um, not only talented, but also she's a babe. Oh my God. She's so beautiful. Anyways, um, the book is, is called Such a Fun Age. It's about a nanny um who is really likes being a nanny but uh never really set out to be a nanny she just kind of fell into that work because of needing funds and interested in kind of finding some kind of job that she Mm -hmm. she she connected to um and it's about not only about a nanny but also about a young well 30 something 40 something mom of two kids who moves from New York to Philadelphia with her husband because her husband is a news anchor and gets a job in Philadelphia and it's about her it's about both women um but what's interesting about it is it kind of develops throughout the story that the mom hire is white and upper middle class and privileged and the nanny uh, Amira is black and um working class and 
it's about this insidious racism that permeates white upper middle class privileged society yeah um and all of the ways that it comes out with these well like well-meaning white folks just fucking fumbling over and over again and being so unself-aware and the whole book is just like this kind of building suspense that kind of culminates in a really beautifully written incredible action-packed climax scene which we won't give away oh my god dude yes I think one of the things that stood out to me the most this, yeah this, she's a white savior she is she was like I'm gonna change her life yeah. I'm gonna save her life as by if giving she her needs these opportunities any of that as right. if she needs to be saved like dude she's just trying to do her job well it's like it's <laughs> also so funny because it's like it's it's a it's this book is just everything it's funny it's heartbreaking it's really fucking smart and poignant in the way that it describes all of these little microaggressions and little situations mm. it's a book that every white person should read and that every like person of color has experienced yeah these- and situations before I'm right. sure another um, like kind of plot line of it is that Amira is not only working for this white woman um as a nanny but she's also dating this white dude mm-hmm. who is racist yeah. it's not good yeah it, oh god it's uncomfortable and she kind of like the whole book is about her kind of navigating these white spaces and navigating these relationships with these white people who really want to show her that they're different or that yeah. they who really want to befriend her like the mom in the story her employer is not content to just be her employer. She's like this girl boss New Yorker who started a women's empowerment organization. And she's like, I want to be your friend. And like, yeah, I want her to be she's a part trying of my to family. Force, she's trying to force friendship on Amira the entire book. And Amira like doesn't care and doesn't want it, but is just like, okay, this fucking weird white lady is just trying to befriend me. I guess I'll just, yeah. you know, like kind of endure. And mm-hmm. it's just like, it just really hits the nail on the head. Like, how misguided and it's I'm like I'm trying to think of a good analogy and the only thing that's coming to mind right now is like the not all men analogy where it's like yes all men but it's like even the best fucking white people are never gonna get it you know like we're never gonna get it no we're still white we're still white we we still participate we still benefit from white privilege we still participate in all of these that is the and reality. It's, it's exactly. And it's the, the, the lack of acknowledgement of that fact in yeah. all of these encounters and all these spaces. And just the lack of acknowledgement is like so problematic and hurtful because yeah. we're all going to fuck up. We're, right. we're white. We're not, we don't understand and we never fully will. Right. And the fact that as a person, if you're moving through the world, interacting with people from all different backgrounds and all different races part of interacting in the world is knowing that you're never going to get it and you're never going to fully understand other people's experiences just like straight people that are cis won't understand fully the experience of a non-trans non-binary person who's not cisgender or who's not straight you know and so to think that you can take this kind of like relationship with someone that is a working relationship and force yourself into their life and then not only that but act as though you know what's best for the yeah. person that you're interacting with it's just this book just talks about all of those problematic details in right. so so much clarity and I and it was really fascinating to witness and mm. to have words put to these situations that you see play out a lot or that yeah. you've had friends that have had it happen to or that you have you, been a perpetrator of you know yeah I mean I think that a lot of people if you're white and you're listening to this or you're, I listened to this book, so I just said listening. But mm-hmm. if you are yeah. reading or listening to this book, you will probably have moments where you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, oh, yep. God. That, and then oh. you're cringing. You and know? you're cringing. Yeah, because that is a reality. It's yeah, going to be I, a reality. And the fact, and many people do not uh, accept that. That is the re- reality. Yeah. <laughs> it's This book is exactly that. Yeah, it's that, like, it's, it's this white need to insert themselves into a already colonized situation Oof. in an already colonized world in Oof. a world that it's just, <laughs> yeah. But it that is, is all to y'all. say, this book is so fucking oh good. You got to read it. You really do. We're going to say that right now. That is our somewhat decent take is that this book is more than somewhat decent and it's, you really have to read it. Yep. I would Best book I've read in five years. Yeah. One of the best books I've read too. It is quick to get through. It's super engaging. It will make you laugh. There's this one part where one of her friends is talking about this guy that she's dating and 
she says something like his like ll bean dick and i'm, I'm like <laughs> and I'm <literally> crying <laughs> laughing and she talks about how he's wearing like an everlane sweater uh-huh. and i'm like oh my god you have just painted an excellent picture i know exactly i know who you're talking it. about yep. yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> so it's really good i think that's a really special quality in a good writer is when they can so concisely and immediately call to mind the exact type of person that they're talking yeah. about that's such a fucking skill i you know? saw that nanny mom literally i had her image in my head exactly you know, like social media influencer white yep. young white mom female empowerment female boss I wear a shirt that says women strong or her, empower her empower her yeah exactly and we oh, all God. we all are her in certain ways totally. we all want to be beloved we all want to be liked white women are fucking notorious for oh, this God, like yeah. we all just want people to love us you Come know on, we don't want to rock the boat we just want to be liked. yeah exactly Exactly. Oh, and all the links that we'll go to to get there. So, you know, oh, anyways, y'all, this is important. That's all we can we say. We love it. It's so good. Yeah. Do you have anything else you really are dying to share? You know what? I have been listening to several pods, but nothing that I'm like super like, mm, I have to talk yeah. about this. So we'll, we'll save the pods for next week. Totally. Yeah. And in terms of music, you know, I've been, I mean, I've just been really on a, an audiobook kick. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of music, I did kind of finally make it all the way through Big Thief's new double release album, which was so really good. good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Are you listening to anything? I have been listening to my coworkers been playing a lot of jazz. So I've been listening mm. to my coworkers jazz and I honestly don't even know who nice. it is. That's we love jazz, but we love it. Shout out to um, the radio station KMHD in Portland. Mm, um, yes. Local radio, local radio. It's 89.1 KMHD. It's out of Gresham. Um, it's jazz. It's really beautiful. Do your so. best jazz radio voice. Go. Hey, this is Molly with jazz FM on Sunday morning. That's not jazz. <laughs> it just kind of sounded like it for a second. This is no. why this show is called Somewhat Decent. Somewhat Decent Reviews. That was good though. Um, that was you. good. A plus for effort. A plus for effort. Anyways, y'all, we love it's you. It's been real. Thank you for tuning in to episode five of Somewhat Decent Reviews. Give us a follow on Instagram at Somewhat Decent Reviews. We release on Spotify for now. Yeah. Somewhat decent reviews. Right. And you can also contact us on Gmail at somewhat decent reviews at gmail.com. We await your somewhat decent reviews that you'd love to share with us. We really do. We thrive on them. We love them. We love them. So just as much as we love giving y'all reviews, we love to receive reviews. So till next time, till next time. We love you, Meg. Have a great one. Bye Meg. Love you. Mm -hmm.